Hey everyone, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Faith 901 Podcast. I am glad to be talking to you today. And first, in the way of in the way of housekeeping, I want to say hey, just a quick hey to the new listeners and the new people that I met recently at the Urban Summit at Inputs and also at the No Regrets Singles and Relationships Conference that happened recently at Hope Church. It was great to meet all of you and So if this is the first podcast that you're listening to, you came in on an interesting topic. It's something that you probably don't think about regularly, but it is, it's something that is happening every day. And that thing is human trafficking. I talked to Rachel Haga, the executive director of Restore Corps and Kara Ward, who does community engagement for the organization. We talked about the Restore Corps mission, uh, which is to empower survivors to equip communities and change systems of injustice. And Rachel explained what that means. So empowering survivors is we do specialized trauma-informed, strength-based individual case management in a residential or non-residential setting. So we do have two um, homes here in Memphis. And then our equipped communities could be something like this, that we meet with other people who want to learn about the good things happening in Memphis and how to be a part of it. And then change systems is working with legislators, with other stakeholders in our community to identify pieces of legislation that can change the way that we look at the victims, look at the perpetrators, look at the buyers along the continuum of the commercial sex industry. So with this conversation, there was there was so much valuable information that I, I split it into a few parts. As you can imagine, you know, there's there's so many layers to the topic of human trafficking. And so I just wanted to make sure that we could talk about it all. And so with this part of the interview, you know, if you're a parent or a person who works with children in any capacity, I think that this part of the interview is pretty interesting. I mean, just in general, but especially if you are a person who works with children or who has children. One, because we talk about the grooming process for traffickers and just and how they lead young girls and young boys into these situations and how it's a it's a gradual process and then of course we also talk about the day-to-day work that they do to support human trafficking survivors how they work with law enforcement and nonprofits and churches and schools you know not just in memphis but really in this region and so i'm going to at this point stop talking and let you hear from them. My name is Rachel Haga. I'm the executive director for Restore Corps. And Restore Corps is the single point of contact for the 21 counties of West Tennessee for human trafficking survivor services. So Tennessee developed a model a few years back that identified this idea of making sure that no survivors fall through the cracks. And so that idea um, in its action every day is to that there is a nonprofit in each grand division of Tennessee that is the point of contact for law enforcement, for Department of Child Services, hopefully for churches and even individuals to know if I call them, even if they can't respond, someone is going to respond to this survivor and make sure that she gets services and then follow up with her as well. And so it doesn't uh, mean that we're the always the person that shows up at the door, but we work with other organizations and other people of goodwill to make sure that survivors, ideally, are always going to be served. And we do those trainings wherever somebody gives us a platform for the most part. Last week we were at Ida B. Wells Elementary? Middle School. Middle School. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, with at one point an audience as small as five seventh grade boys, eighth grade boys, mm -hmm. and they were all about learning about consent and exploitation and just mm -hmm. so sweet along the way. Um, or next next week we will join with Memphis Girls Rock, a local initiative, and. Uh, be in front of about 2,000 high school students. What does that messaging look like when you are talking to, to young people? Some of the basics that we talked about even uh, last week at school that I was at as we were kind of exploring the idea just of consent, we talked a little bit about you know for, force, fraud, and coercion and some of the larger definitions of human trafficking, but um, we asked, uh, it was a group of middle school girls, and we asked them how many of you in here have been asked by a male for nude pictures um, on some sort of digital platform and 100% wow. of the girls raised their hand. So what age did you say again? So this was this was 7th and 8th graders. Mm -hmm. Jumping off of that question, we were able to explore at least a little bit more of if you comply and send the photo, then what do you, you know, how do you feel about that? Or most of them said you know, no, I don't, I, I don't send that. And, you know, I asked afterwards, does he take that well? <laughs> and they all say, no, he gets, he gets really mad. He, he gets upset. He tries to make me feel guilty or make me feel bad or like I'm being mean by not sending him that photo. Mm -hmm. And uh, so helping, helping to unpack both of the girls and the guys um, that no one is entitled to your body. Um, that that across any faith tradition is always absolutely true that no one is entitled. And so how does, I can hear some people asking or saying, well, you know, that's an isolated incident or that's just in a certain setting. How does that move from asking for a picture to being trafficked? At least one of the statistics on the side, on the side of demand is that uh, most buyers of commercial sex purchase a sex act for the first time between the ages of 18 to 24. Mm -hmm. um, so it's typically upon upon graduating high school, turning 21, a bachelor party, a lot of the things that we conventionally think are rites of passage. So part of it is um, the fact that that kind of tender age is, is teaching boys in their mind that they're, they have digital rights to a woman's body. And then once they're unleashed uh, out, of, mm -hmm. out of our homes and you know, ed educational system, then uh, that we see that there's a transfer that they believe that they have physical rights. I think mm -hmm. too, part of the answer could also be that asking for photos is one of the first tactics of someone trying to groom someone for human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if if he can already start to lessen her resolve, um, and it, we will we will speak as if the victims are always female, the buyers are always male, but that's that's not the always. That's just the majority, and definitely the majority in terms of our service. But um, if if a person has already succumbed to the idea of, okay, I'll send him a photo of, of my nude body, and then he asks for another photo, and then he asks for another photo, just like anything in life, something that was once offensive is now, you're now desensitized mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And so once she's desensitized to the photo not being a, not being appropriate, now he can groom her for that next step. Why don't you, I'm going to fly in and uh, so that we can, 
if, if it's someone who has met her online and is grooming online, then uh, so that we can finally have have a enjoy a sex act together. And so then he starts sleeping with her again, mm-hmm. someone who potentially a few months before that she would have never imagined herself having uh, sex at that point or with a man. Um, whether it's a man only five years older, if she's 14 and he's 19, or a man oftentimes 15 years older when she's 14 and he's 33 or something, mm-hmm. um, or over over 14, uh, over a, a large amount of time. So it, the photography and asking for nude imagery um, not only creates an expectation in the minds of minds and hearts of the eventual buyer, as in creating that expectation with the boys who think that they're entitled to these images. Mm-hmm. But then it also de- desensitizes and all- is already beginning the process of dehumanizing the girl, that she is not realizing anymore that I'm a human worth value and have dignity, inherent dignity, and not just if not just a human worth that value and dignity, but the, the image of the Lord is imprint upon me. And now she's not she's not that anymore. She's reduced to a, a nude image on someone's cell phone mm-hmm. or in someone's Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the way that it leads to trafficking is that if she is now thinking, I'm no more than this image, or, or worse yet, now someone has control of her. So mm-hmm. he can compel her to do more things. Um, because if not, then I'll, if you don't do this, I'll share your photo. If you don't do this, I'll make sure that your parents know that you sent me this photo. If you don't do this. And so it also quickly can spiral into a place of control and force mm-hmm. um, that compels the girl to now do because she feels isolated and under his thumb. Mm-hmm. And so how does this message, how does that translate to churches and faith-based organizations? Because what I could hear someone saying is that we teach, you know, the value of a person every Sunday. We teach it when we're in our small groups, when we are, you know, doing the classes with the kids and the teenagers. How, how does that message translate for people of faith? We, as churches, do teach that message, and mm-hmm. it is good that we keep going. But every single day in every place that our kids look, another message is being taught and oftentimes a lot louder with a lot more conviction. Meaning if you're driving down I-40 and you see the billboards that are advertising the pornography stores up and down I-40 or the billboard above the gold club over at White Station in summer that is borderline pornography in a giant billboard Um, or someone is playing around on YouTube and watching something that's baby shark but then the little the images that come up afterward Mm -hmm. Um, there's just so many different aspects that through all the different kinds of media Um, And even language that we use, like uh, there's a hashtag that says food porn or a hashtag that says, I mean, the idea of like pimp my ride, like Mm -hmm. we've now desensitized ourselves to these words that are supposed to, right, I mean, we've we've desensitized our word to, I mean, ourselves to these words that are supposed to say, no, like Mm -hmm. I I don't want to think that that word is appropriate. because of what that word means in its true yeah, form it's is very that's a 
a normalized word. I, mm-hmm. I just any of us have like we've right. completely normalized things that are like community and culture has just created that. So we as a church are absolutely running down this one lane, but then the same people like any of us have probably been been guilty that man, this is my time with Jesus. I'm so grateful for all the things that he's done in my life. Oh my gosh, I did you see this menu over at so-and-so, hashtag food porn. And you're like, I mean, there's just so many wow. disconnects for yeah. any of us on any given day that we don't realize like we are justifying and normalizing things that should not be normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to the value of human, I think also... As churches, I think that we can say that we're teaching that message really strongly, but I grew up in church, and the message to girls was wear a church sweater and make sure that your skirt is long enough, Right. Um, that I should be ashamed of my body for, for fear of how it affects other humans. Or also um, the, that the burden of responsibility is on, is on women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with so what is a what a, another message that I was thinking about was the um, the hugging in church. I'm this is a personal thing. I'm just <laughs> really not that big of a hugger, you know. Um, and there's been there hasn't been anyone who's made me uncomfortable, you know. Like sure. I can't think if I was when I was a child uh, of an adult who made me uncomfortable by the hugging. But I can right. I can see how maybe someone might think oh. I'm not comfortable with hugging, but this person, you know, they're a pastor or they're um, someone who works in church that I should, that trust should automatically be there. Sure. And so can you speak to that? I I can. I think that Kira can. Well, I just think it's funny that you mentioned it because I uh, worked with survivors of sex trafficking for a while in Chicago before getting to come to Memphis. Mm -hmm. And there was a particular resident who... um, had come into our residential home and was really ready for a break from men. For a lot of her appointments and a lot of things, we were, you know, able to kind of cater and work around that. Um, but uh, going to church was a part of was a part of programming. And so my job with her, she said she could be she be around them, but she didn't want to talk to them and she didn't want to touch them. And so my job was boxing out all of the greeters. <laughs> so so from from the parking lot to getting seated, um, I was always the one to overly company. yeah to overly to, to make sure that I grabbed grabbed his hand first or took the side hug so that she didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, you could make which a lot is something. My secondary profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that, at least in that moment, definitely had a relevant example example for that. Which you know, I I would argue, you know, I think um, that should be equitable for a male a male and a female greeter, you mm-hmm. know, to. Mm-hmm. To maintain consistency in what kind of physical contact you're going to have, particularly particularly in welcoming people to the church, because you just never know what you know what they consider as welcoming. So mm-hmm. we would always advise you know to be on the safe side and get to get to know people before you go in for the side hug, um, which is awkward in and of itself as a, as a thing. Especially when you're out of the church, you're probably not side-hugging people right. anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Even in my own family, if one of the little nieces, there's plenty of them under the age of six and below um, mm-hmm. on both sides of my family, and if any of them are just having what 
we in adult world like would like to just say like a, a snotty day <laughs> where they uh, the whole all right say say bye to Ray Ray go give her a hug if they're like no and I'm like okay bye and so just yeah. a very I mean just a willingness to accept that she doesn't have to hug me is totally fine and mm-hmm. not a pressuring of um, I'm not I don't I don't I understand Southern hospitality and how we want to be welcoming. We want to demonstrate relationship to everyone. But mm-hmm. I think... And in church, if, they're coming there for, you know, a specific need. Maybe they don't have community. Right. And you want to speak to that. But yes. you also have to be considerate. Absolutely. And so I, I think that I'm just a big believer in if, if a parent says go hug Rachel I'll be real quick to say like or don't it's it's your it's your call like Mm -hmm. you don't have to Mm -hmm. and just even like giving starting to set that precedent from the very beginning with the kids in our lives like boys and girls to Mm -hmm. say you you do have a choice like there's places okay like in parenting no 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 sweet little person like you don't have control here like I will tell you what to do but I feel like who to hug is one of those safe things that I don't think that that could ever backfire to teach Mm -hmm. them that they can choose who to hug Mm -hmm. and who to be tangible with. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just, I guess, my own little soapbox on that on that subject. You talked about working with survivors and victims. So what does that look like? Because I can't even imagine what the process would be, the time length and just all the things that you have to unpack. What does looking working with survivors look like today? Um, I'll say that because today is one of the best ones, mm-hmm. um, and it's not every day is the best one. Um, but today looked like us, Carrie and I both. We actually just got to go to the lunch and learn at New Ballet for New Ballet Ensemble. It's a local organization that utilizes ballet and the arts to provide um, a creative outlet to. Uh, kids across Memphis Mm -hmm. and one of our survivors um she's from a different city and she had just kind of told us I'm kind of interested in ballet and Mm so I happened to just google and saw that their lunch and learn was happening today so we just put it on our calendar and Mm -hmm. just were going not knowing until I think on our way there that she's actually studied ballet for she took classes for ballet for 14 years before she was trafficked and so it wasn't so I, the way that I feel like she's kind of played it off to all of us, like, oh, I just, can we look in a ballet? was just a very flippant, like, <laughs> this is something creative and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing that this is so much a part of her identity mm-hmm. but before she was trafficked. And, um, and so when we went into the luncheon, she looked at me, looked at the whole banquet hall and just said, I, I've, I've never been to a luncheon before. Mm-hmm. Just this idea of, sitting down at a table with, um, you know, how luncheon tables are for organizations, nonprofit fundraisers. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a treasure trove of like, what's on this table? Yes. Because all of their <laughs> swag has to be there, but also all the rolls and the teas and the coffee and all mm-hmm. the different desserts. And mm-hmm. um, at one point she, she was eating the do- chocolate cake and um, that was the dessert on her dessert plate at her plate, at her place setting. Mm-hmm. And just looked at me and said, I hate chocolate. <laughs> and um, so for the whispering of the podcast, she said, I hate chocolate cake. And um, But she just thought that at, at a luncheon, you just eat what's in front of you, and this is the gig. And so I just looked at her, don't eat it. I'll, do you like cheesecake? There's a cheesecake on the other side of the table. And so just even like being empowered that mm-hmm. trying to learn what it's like to just be a person that gets invited to mm-hmm. a table where a place has been set for you. And that's even... Um, 
So that was incredible and empowering. And on the other side, that's literally the idea that we try to utilize for one of our changing systems kind of programs. We, we work with the DA's office and MPD and the health department and Calvary Episcopal Church and um, a step ahead and a number of other organizations to provide prostitution diversion class once a month. And we try to set up the tables like a banquet, mm-hmm. um, knowing that people who are caught up in this lifestyle, people who have endured systemic vulnerabilities and injustices that led them to being trafficked, they likely, just like this resident, has never been to a banquet, has never been to a luncheon. And so we um, set up that table thinking on the scripture from Luke where the king has set up a banquet and he says to his steward, go out and invite everyone. And Mm -hmm. the steward keeps coming back and saying, oh, well, they say they're busy. They say they're busy. They say, and finally he says, go out to the highways and the byways and say a place has been set for you. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes even to the, they are court mandated. They've been arrested for prostitution. They come to that class and we say, a place has been set for you. Like we are here today, yes, because you're court mandated. Um, but we are here to let you know that there's a way out of this life. Because when MPD interviews them, MPD um, understands trafficking. They want, they hope that a person is going to identify themselves as being trafficked, but oftentimes they won't. Then Mm -hmm. they get to court, and again, Judge Montese is totally willing to listen to them if they identify themselves as human trafficked, a human trafficking victim, but oftentimes victims just don't self-identify because going back to the very beginning of this conversation, they have been dehumanized, humanized, and the victimization has been so normalized for so long, they don't even see themselves as victims. So Mm -hmm. say someone at 21, she was pressured to send photos starting at 14. So she doesn't even know when it's, when, at, at what point did victimization start and now I'm here? Mm-hmm. Um, as well as the fact that if her pimp is in the courtroom or her trafficker is the one that dropped her off, like how am I supposed to identify? Right. And so um, serving survivors can look like either of those things, like mm-hmm. doing what we can to make them feel like you're a person welcome to the a banqueting table and the Lord loves you beyond belief. Um, or getting in a car and driving across town and in the sunshine she even said as we pulled up um because of how bright and sunshiny the day is like when we were about to get out of the car here she said I just I just feels like feel like how what did she say I feel like we've just been on a girl's day out (laughs) so she was just a girl with other girls like going to watch them dancing for an hour on a bright sunshiny day Mm -hmm. um so some days look like this